Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show is made possible by our patrons. If you want to monetarily support the show, we're at patreon.com slash two towns over. If you can't support us financially, then you can support us algorithmically by liking, rating, and sharing. Thanks. Enjoy the show. There you go. That's literally the first line of this. Coming episode. straight from the underground. <laughs> That's right, DJ Thick Liquid. In the Real country started. motherfuckers <laughs> don't fuck with boot liquors. That's what we're saying. Anyway. Well, when you consider the old Welcome school- to a hot take right at the top of the episode. How about that? <laughs> welcome. We're just going to get started. Hi, welcome, everybody. <laughs> I am Father Donathan, a.k.a. DJ Thick Liquid. Oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! He stole my shit. I'm Ruben, your most recent breatharian con- convert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Josh, also known as the anarcho-communist. There you go. Nice, nice. And uh, right at the top, and I forgot to tell you guys this before we started. Um, Benjamin you, breatharian. That's what I should go. <laughs> if you listened to part one of Ed Gein oh. and you heard Don mention, yeah, you should have heard by the music and know that we are uh, doing a After Dark you should also know that Don has lost the theme music to our After Dark series. Oh, no. So, anyways, so uh, we do not have uh, the After Dark theme music anymore. I'm going to have to go back and rebuild that from scratch. But uh, if you get a chance, go to our Discord server and listen to our Final Countdown theme music that I created last week. It's a banger. Just in case we get uh, <laughs> cease and desisted exactly. by Europe. We won't. <laughs> Yeah, there's a big argument. But and even if we did, we're American. Fuck Europe. Anyway. <laughs> um, um, no, it is a banger. When I realized that there were quotes from actual cult leaders in it, yeah. that I was like, oh, this isn't just from the episode. This is like, this is like, this does professional grade shit, bud. Uh-huh. That's what I was going for. So, yeah, so we are back with Ed I, I Gein. Would, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that on, like, PBS. <laughs> right before a documentary, <laughs> yeah, honestly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wanted to find a line from Mother God saying dick whores, but like I said, I kind of wanted to keep the cussing out of the theme That's music. fair. So, but yeah, so we're back with Ed Gein. <laughs> While it would have been on brand. It would have been, yeah. G- genuinely, my proudest work for the show. Truly. Really, really what, good Love shit. is One? No, 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 no. Oh, Ed Gein Part 2? Ed Gein Part 2. Okay, yeah. we got four conversations going right now. This I'm so sorry. Us, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, as always, uh, what's your name? Josh. It has been a week, y'all. Uh, Josh titled, I'm sorry. He said he was called the anarcho-communist, yeah. my friend. <laughs> How could you forget? Josh titled this episode, Ed Gein, Master Carpenter. You <laughs> said. <laughs> so before we step fully back into the horror show that is the life of the, and crimes of Ed Gein, we would like to reiterate last week's content warning. This is the episode where it all gets much worse, as Josh likes to say, and will include the full inventory of Ed Gein's truly horrible creations. 
We'd also like to let listeners know that Josh has taken the liberty of breaking into your homes and providing free complimentary Two Towns Over branded barf bags under each of your seats. Feel free to use them as you see fit. Uh, open them up first. I did leave a sticker in there. Yeah. So for all of you. So <laughs> before you puke in it, take the sticker out. Oh, or do it after you puke in it. It's up to you, really. Yeah, yeah it's yours now. Yeah, I, I'm not taking it back. So. <laughs> <laughs> so when we last left Ed, he was reeling from the death of his mother, leaving him a heavily traumatized man all alone in the if world. If any of you have a sticker and a barf bag, I'm going to need you to send that image to the Discord. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we also briefly mentioned that he would soon become obsessed with reading about Nazi concentration camps. Now, this came in the form of true crime magazines and detective pulp fiction stories. You know that this episode's going to be much worse because we are five minutes into it and we have already mentioned the Nazis. Yeah. Because remember, at this point, um, I want to say we're in the. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're in the the early 50s. So. Yeah. World War II just ended not that long ago, and the world is being fully exposed to the horrors that took place. Right. So, Ed had a, on, on the nonfiction side of his readings, Ed had a particular love for one Nazi officer, Ilse Koch, or Koch. 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 Yep. Commonly known as the Bitch of Buchenwald. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's t- too good of a name. That's, also, th- think about how bad you got to be. To be called the bitch of a place. By the Nazis. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, This man is a true horror. So, yeah, the bitch of Buchenwald, who was a frequent topic discussed in the magazines. He is the bitch of Buchenwald. 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 You know that W is a V. You got it. it. (laughs) So, Coke's most famous act of depravity was collecting the tattoos of victims having them skinned off either before or after executions. Now, this, was sto- uh, this story was very widely reported, although never verified. Alongside the stories that were coming out from inside the death camps, Gein took a particular interest in stories of 18th century medical students who would rob graves in order to sell the corpses to their own medical schools. Collecting the tattoos of your victims sounds like some Omega Mart shit. <coughs> Yeah. The tattoo chicken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also, um, that's a plot line in Far Cry 5. Is it? I downloaded that game. I should play it. Far Cry 5 is. That's my favorite Far Cry. That's a I've lot of people's told favorite Far Cry. it's a really Cry. good game. Yep. Um, one of their, one of the, the cult leaders, the cult family, his MO is that he will tattoo on you. Your sin. Your one of the seven deadly sins, yeah. whichever one he attributes to you, and then skin it off. Yeah. That's... Pretty scary MO. Honestly. Yeah, I know. So good. So good. And is it just me or when you played it when you were driving around? Mm-hmm. Did you end up switching the radio to the to cult? the cult station? Yeah, because yeah, they slap. <laughs> it's <laughs> I know. I I gotta play this game. Phenomenal. <laughs> it's my favorite. It deals with cults. It's I'm pl- in I'm America. in the middle of I'm in the middle of Tears of the Kingdom. I'm playing grounded, and I'm doing my best to fill out as much of the Fortnite battle pass as I can, but mostly I'm just doing it to see the story happen. Yeah. Because uh, I've already got all the skins I want from this season because they were trash. It was a fucking terrible whatever. Uh, anyway. Human furniture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Probably something, something Transformers next season. Incidentally, he would tell later tell authorities that he had wanted to become a doctor and that his interest in human bodies was purely scientific. 
oh yeah yeah <laughs> this is uh provably untrue <laughs> so despite ed privately sinking deeper and deeper into the worst parts of his own mind his public appearance had not changed a bit that's how that works the residents of plainfield still described him as a helpful and hard worker with a friendly although lopsided smile but as a year would pass uh after his mother's death the mask would wear thin and mind you uh I, I say that too that they described him as a hardworking and friendly face, but they still didn't particularly like Ed. They were they tolerated Ed. They certainly didn't mind having Ed come help with chores at right. their house, which he loved to do. But nobody really liked like other farmers would play pranks on him. Ed, God, it sounds like the life of an autistic kid for real. Like growing I, up, and I you haven't don't know. wanted to go there. No, for real though. Like if you growing up and not knowing you're neurodivergent until you're an adult, mm-hmm. you look back and you're like, "Damn, people really didn't like me. They liked things about me that were because of my neurodivergency." But then also they would do things like play pranks on you or make Pr- jokes prey at your, on your neurodivergence. Right. Make yeah. jokes at your expense or try to shame you and make you feel real bad about yourself. But they would be, you know, quick to accept when you offered to help them move or something. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. It's just really, it's really like, um, at this time, Don mysteriously yeah, he disappeared just, from the table. So yeah, that was weird. <laughs> but, but like, and, oh, and then no. what were you were you playing with Capone? Was that the sound that I heard? Okay. 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 <laughs> I was like, what? Um, <laughs> like Don disappeared out of the room. We heard some And then I and then I just hear from really distant like Don loving on my cat noises. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening to this man? And then but yeah, it just feels really odd to look back and think, man, I could have been a monster. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Like, like easily, not that well, difficult. And it's, I was kind of thinking about this while I was reading and writing about this too. It's like, you know, you had that really difficult point in your life where you had started watching a lot of content around Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. You had people around you to pull you out of that when it started to get dark. Yeah. Ed Gein had nobody left in the world. Mm-hmm. And when he started falling headfirst into true crime magazines, uh, detective pulp fiction, and stuff like that, he had nobody to pull him back out of it. He would go home after helping somebody with a chore because he he had also gotten a, a large windfall, I think, from selling uh, a huge portion of his farm because he no longer farmed. Um, he, his house had no electricity. He would go home. He would read by candlelight. Mm-hmm. And it was always stories from concentration camps or... Damn, nobody handed him a Magic Treehouse book? Nah. Nah, God man. Dog. Narnia? Nothing? Nope. Shit. So... Uh, um, he did have a copy of Grey's Anatomy. Not the TV show. Not the TV show. The no. book? Yeah, he had, he had, a, D, he had a DVD player. He had player. a DVD copy of <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. He was really, really into Dr. McSteamy or whatever his He name He was. had the fucking... McDreamy. McDreamy. My cousin would hate me if I didn't correct you. <laughs> he had the 80 DVD box set of all of Grey's Anatomy. He watched it over and over and over again. No, he, d- he had a copy of the book, and uh, his favorite parts, the most well-worn parts, were the parts regarding uh, human heads and female genitalia. 
All right. Cool. He misunderstood giving head. So hey, <laughs> there's our first Geener. <laughs> so Ed would ramble, <laughs> shit. Ed would ramble on and on about stories from his magazines, describing in detail his favorite stories of people being maimed or murdered. On one occasion, when he was informed of a local man being killed in a combine accident, Ed giggled uncontrollably rather than showing so much as an ounce of empathy. Um, it's around the same time when the signs of schizophrenia would begin to manifest in the form of hearing his mother's voice at night as he lay in bed. That's fucked because, like, our whole show is inappropriate giggling. Oh, for sure. <laughs> our whole oh, for sure. show <laughs> yeah, is yeah, yeah, inappropriate yeah. giggling. Like, really. <coughs> also, schizophrenia happening. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yep. Uh-huh. This is where we get the Norman Bates. Side. I'm not saying yeah. that schizophrenia is bad, actually. I, I met a girl when I was, for the first time I was hospitalized um, on purpose. I did, the, I did it myself. But um, I met a girl. Her name was Daisy. And if she ever hears this, I hope she contacts me. My number is the same. <laughs> she was real cool. I liked her a lot. We learned, <laughs> we learned how to play blackjack together. It was very fun. Nice. Um, um, and I met her dad one time and he was really nice and she had to go in occasionally like, you know, re up on her meds or get, uh. you know, to just monitor it. But she had schizophrenia and she was telling me like her voices don't really, she had both visual and auditory hallucinations mm-hmm. and they weren't linked. So she would see things that were different from the things that she heard and the seeing of the things was the scary part, and the hearing of the things was more neutral. She yeah. said it wasn't really good or bad. It was just like having people talking to her all the time. Um, and I don't know. I'm not saying that schizophrenia itself will drive you crazy. No. But it's, it's, all of the things that we've talked about in episode one. Yeah, exactly. You know, like having it, a shitty abusive mother who is incredibly incredibly like domineering domineering and hates women and uh-huh. other people thinking they're sinners and dirty and stuff like you you know your father being sort of a weak like drunk man yeah and you know it's, there's world war ii happening ed, in your lifetime like ed Gein is the result of a perfect storm yeah yeah. In in every sense. Like how the Flash got struck by the right lightning and chemicals to make him super fast. Yeah. Ed Gein got struck by the right circumstances to make him, make him a uh, fucking monster. It's, I don't want to spoil. <laughs> I was I was going to say got struck by just the right uh, strike of lightning to make him do a specific thing. But no, 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 no. We, we, we wait. We'll get there. We wait. We'll get there. <laughs> That's the finale. So as it got worse, the visual hallucinations began with Ed claiming to see people's faces staring at him from piles of leaves. For I'm so I don't want to I don't want to get there. I know you don't. <laughs> on one I occasion, know you don't. on one occasion, he described staring at a tree which which he saw to be full of vultures dripping with blood and human viscera. To quote Marcus Parks from the last book on the left, I worked with a woman who saw like rats and snakes and spiders and stuff mm-hmm. crawling out of drains like waist yeah. high. That's that's most that's one of the really common uh schizophrenic visual hallucinations. That, that shit sounds 
fucking awful. There are, she she said she could like feel them mm-hmm. like crawling over you mm-hmm. and you have to make a drink for a patron. Like that's crazy. Like I hate that seems awful yeah. to me. There are some uh, artists who are schizophrenic and will draw what they see. And that's always really interesting to see. Yeah. But quoting Marcus Parks. Yeah. So during this period, whatever desires Augusta had kept at bay for decades began to surge in ways that Ed never thought possible. He felt the need to see a woman's body, but not, he claimed, for sexual purposes. Did you know you can do a second puberty? Yes. Yeah. Imagine doing that after this life. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But since he had no clue how to even begin a conversation with a member of the opposite sex, they humored him at best. And paying for a woman's services would be contributing to the wickedness of the world. Ed decided the road least sinful was the graveyard. Now, let's quickly dispel a myth uh, that was kind of what this podcast was supposed to be once upon a time. Fuck you. <laughs> I still do that often. But like... No, I know. <laughs> That's just straight cheek. That's all that <laughs> Ed Gein did not dig up his mother's grave. Although he did indeed inspire the character of Norman Bates, this is one story beat that they absolutely do not share. Ed was entirely too respectful and simultaneously terrified of Augusta. It is, however... Oh, his mom would have kicked his ass. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like, as a dead body. Uh-huh. It is, however, known that Ed attempted to resurrect her, not by any sort of ritual or magic, but by simply wishing and willing to be, willing it to be so. In my opinion, that's the purest way to try to do magic for real. Yeah. It's like, if... Really and truly, if you think magic has a system, like I am a person, I'm sorry about this tangent, you guys, it's going to take a second, but um, I'll try to get quick. The, I I read mostly exclusively like epic fantasy. Mm -hmm. I love learning about different magic systems and the way they work and why, like it's science. Uh, Magic is not science. You know, as much as we like to say things like, oh, you know, sufficiently advanced technology is magic. No, no, no. I do love that quote. It's a great quote, but it is that it is akin to magic. Magic does not have an explanation. That's why we call it magic. Mm -hmm. It's it's the same as thinking that God can do a miracle. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what magic is, is it is a warping of the physical laws of the universe to achieve a desire and the only way i can see to make that happen in real life would be to want it hard enough if you wanted to be able to do magic you would have to want it more than anybody in the history of anyone has ever wanted your want would have to be stronger than the laws of our universe right your want would have to break the physical laws of nature yeah and you can't you just physically can't can't. yeah and because it's a law the unbreakable kind Mm -hmm. so i don't know it's just you know so he would stand over her grave at night on full moons and muster up every amount of strength he had but his willpower proved unable to raise the dead and one could argue that it was this expenditure of all of his willpower that left him powerless upon seeing a brand new headstone near augustus on one of his many late-night trips to the cemetery, a headstone which simply read, Eleanor Adams, Mother. (coughs) Now, Ed had known Eleanor from town and remarked that she always reminded him of his mother. 
and on the night after she had been buried, Ed would drive to the cemetery with a shovel and a crowbar. After that night, the only thing buried underneath the headstone reading Mother was that very same crowbar. While we know that Eleanor was the first victim of Ed's grave-robbing exploits, she was absolutely not the last. I am always, I don't know why, because I truly don't believe that a dead body is sacred in any way. Like, you know, if I had my way, you would leave me in the woods somewhere or burn me. Right. In the backyard. Um, Because it's my it's a body. It's energy now. It's potential energy to be uh, let back into the system. Um, Just physically, spiritually, whatever's happening spiritually, that's that's happening somewhere else. Right. That has um, nothing to do with your body. Right. And I just. Don't I? So I guess it's just a human instinct to feel this fucked up about him fucking with a dead body. Like, well, I have a line coming up here in just a second about how uh, whether they were living or dead when this happened, these it's these people were Ed Gein's victims. They're still victims. The same way that oh god, what was her name? Elena. Elena, That's what I thought was the victim of Tansler. I was thinking of Tansler. Yes. And, you're and probably going to keep thinking of Tansler. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing that I think is wild to me, is that mm-hmm. I don't believe in the sanctity of a human body. It's a body now. It's meat. It's you. you should. You, I guess I just believe you should use it for study or leave it alone or, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Right. Let the energy get back into the system. It is inherently disrespectful. It is. But I just don't know why I think that, you know? Yeah, I know. It's weird. Like, I don't have any real reason for it. No, because I agree with you, but I just, I also cannot help but see everyone who Ed Gein dug up as a... it's undeniable. A victim, yeah. It's undeniable. And I just, I just think that's a wild contrast, Mm -hmm. you know? Because it does make you so, uh, it's like, I can feel it. It's bad. (laughs) It's just awful. So while we know that Eleanor was the first victim of Ed's grave-robbing exploits, she was definitely, or absolutely not, the last. And with that being said, let's take a quick moment to drive home the fact that these are victims at the hands of Ed Gein. There we go. Though he may not have been the one that landed them inside coffins, the act of removing them from their coffins for his own twisted motives does make them his victims. It's also worth noting that almost all of the women he dug up, Ed knew personally at some point in time. That makes it... Twice as bad, yes, at least. But also, I can see why the people who did uh, who did make Norman Bates up made him dig up his mom instead of yeah. somebody who reminded him of his mom. Mm-hmm. It's a much more compelling, yeah, narrative. Mm-hmm. So he would seek out fresh graves in his town's local na- uh, newspaper, preferring those who most resembled Augusta, strong-willed, middle-aged woman, women. In this closeness. It's this closeness to many of the victims that he would later state gave him tinges of guilt, which would result in him returning to their graves and leaving the parts which he did not intend to use in his projects. In the case of one victim, Mabel Everson, Ed returned to the grave in order to leave behind her jaw, a portion of her skull, and her gold wedding band. In another, he took some strips of flesh from the back of a victim's body, leaving the rest untouched. I think with... uh. With Everson, he also left behind her clothes when, when he went back. 
It was like anything that he didn't need, he felt guilty for taking. He was like, oh, I, I don't need it. It's it's like he it's like he took too much on Thanksgiving and went and put some back. That's so. That makes it thrice as worse, yeah. at least. Uh huh. Like, so the closeness to his victims, as well as his feelings of guilt, served to academics to further set Gein apart from the stereotypes of male serial killers. I'm just imagining. No, please, God. <laughs> uh-huh. Almost never target people they know personally. Ed made an estimated 40 trips to three graveyards in Plainfield, which is crazy because with it being such a small town, why are there three fucking graveyards? It was old. Um, it had been around for do, a long do you know time. How many graveyards and... there are in Yuli, and that didn't become a big town until 10 years ago. Right. Like, you know? It, it was an old town, and this was in, you know, the late 40s, early 50s that this was taking, well, early 50s that this portion of the story is taking place. Go downtown here, and there's two, and then there's the big one that's back, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. And then if you go, if you're like heading towards the plantation, there's that little small one. Mm -hmm. Because there are more dead people in history than living ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And on about 10 of those trips, he did not leave empty-handed. He would also so, so that's a that's a twenty five percent rate yep. at which a trip to the cemetery turned into uh, a trip home with art supplies. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry. Say the numbers again. Forty uh, times in three forty times cemeteries, to three different cemeteries, and on about ten of those trips, he did not leave empty handed. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That also, if you're wondering why they didn't notice, uh, fewer people go to cemeteries than you think. Like, fewer people go to visit a grave than you think. Well, uh, especially very, very, very late at night. Yeah. And uh, and if the, the first one was a fresh grave... They were all fresh. Yeah, they were all fresh. Yeah, so then that's the even an additional layer, because it's going to look, you know, freshly dug. Yeah. He, he trolled obituaries for women that matched the description. Wow. And, yeah. That's... Four times worse. <laughs> Man, if we're already at four. It's so much worse, dude. It, it's going to get multiplicative soon Shit. rather than additive. I'm going to go explicative in a minute. <laughs> so he would also claim post-arrest that he did this in a haze and rarely remembered any of the details of the acts themselves. That is a familiar feeling. Yeah. Well, if you've ever had a suicide attempt or like a self-harm thing... Because this is an after dark, um, that is a it's a similar haze of impulsivity. Mm-hmm. You kind of halfway remember doing it, it's right? And the thing is, I also I don't know if I a hundred percent believe that. I'm I'm gonna call it seventy five percent belief on this because he read obituaries in advance. That's premeditation. I'll say this for suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Which it sounds like this is not the same, but adjacent to it, the way it's being described. Um, you start by thinking about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then you start making a plan that you don't necessarily think you're going to fall through with. This is just, you know, I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. How would I do it, you know? And then... There, you can premeditate it for sure, but then there comes this moment. Something bad happens, or something stressful happens, or something to kick off an episode happens, and 
you find yourself on the phone saying, I just took a bottle of pills or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I did what? Like, it, and it, it's like you half remember doing it. Mm. And it's it's not like you don't it's not like you didn't make a decision. Yeah. But it is kind of your impo- like my one of my therapists described it to me like it's very it's an impulse decision. Mm-hmm. It is your body and brain think or react as if this is the best decision you could make and thus it makes it for you okay and then you if you're lucky or unlucky depending on how you feel about it later you can you either die or you live long enough to realize that you didn't really necessarily want to die so you have an opportunity to ask for help yeah you know like so it, it sounds like th- that it sounds like that feeling of like him being like oh man i would m- if i if i but if i was though m- who would it be yeah. and then he sees somebody that Could matches be. too close and he goes well shit now i gotta you know could be so he uh so he also said that he would sometimes come out of his trance midway through digging a grave, replace the dirt, and go home. Mm-hmm. Ed was almost caught just one time in years of doing this, being brought out of his haze when he heard two lovers sneaking into the cemetery as he was already knee-deep into a grave. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. The murders. Uh-huh. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, oh right. right, the murders. <laughs> yeah, I was just. Gonna... I have a different heading on this section in the script, which I I never do. <laughs> but yeah, that that last little bit there, that is kind of sometimes like if you're driving on the high, if you've ever been on the highway and you look at a fucking pole or the side or the fucking uh-huh. barricade, and you're like, "Damn, I'm gonna do it's today," and then <laughs> and then you like snap out of it. That seems like what he's describing as well. So in the story of any serial killer, there is almost always a clear point of escalation. For Gein, that point would come in December of 1954. How many years has he been digging up graves, or has it even been that? What was it, five years, I think I I put in there? I don't remember. It was somewhere about five years. It was the 1950s at the beginning of the story? Yeah. This is 1954. So. We're in 1954 now. So it was like 48, 49, I think. So like right after, like uh, not that long after the war, he started doing this. It, it was it was about a year or two years after his mother died that he no longer had the impulse control to stop himself from going to the graveyard. Got it. So Mary Hogan and Augusta Gein. She shared... died in 43? I don't remember. Shit. It was at the end of the last, last script. Episode. Yeah. So Mary Hogan and Augusta Gein shared many similarities. They were both large, strong-willed women who owned their own businesses and spoke with thick German accents. But in their moralities, the two could not be more different. While Augusta was, in Ed's eyes, the height of piety, Mary Hogan ran the local bar and was rumored to have been a madam at a brothel in the city prior to moving to Plainfield. She was also rumored to have been like, a crime boss. There there were so many different rumors about what Mary Hogan's life was like before yeah. she moved to Plainfield. 
<laughs> and they were all like dark. So she died in 1945, so he would have started somewhere around 47 or 48. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So while George Gein was a severe alcoholic, Ed managed to follow his mother's wishes and avoid being a helpless drunk. Still, he enjoyed the occasional beer at Mary's Pine Grove Tavern, where it's reported that she was always friendly with him despite her gruff attitude with everyone else. He would go and he would just stare at her while she served other patrons. And she she was, like like I said, really friendly with him, uh, but really mean to everyone else. She would, like, tell dirty jokes to keep everyone laughing, mm-hmm. um, but always real friendly with Ed. Mm-hmm. On the night of December 8th, while Mary had turned her back while closing Yeah, the maybe because he's creepy as shit. Well, also, maybe it's the thing where it's like she feels bad for him. And maybe it is because of that. Yeah. Because that was my first thought, really. Mm-hmm. But, like, then you mentioned him staring a lot. And yeah. I was like, maybe that's just defense mechanism then. She's very polite to this man who might murder her in her sleep. Oh, she didn't need to be sleeping. God damn it. So on the night of December 8th, while Mary had turned her back while we're closing up the bar, Ed pulled out a 32 caliber revolver and shot her dead before taking her body back to his home. Jesus. Without uh. any of the sophisticated forensics that we have today and only a pool of blood to go off of, police found no leads and declared Mary Hogan a missing person. When the subject of her disappearance would come up in conversation among townsfolk, Ed would chuckle and remark, she's not missing, she's at the house right now. Now, Ed repeated this often and was never once taken seriously. Like like every time somebody mentioned Mary Hogan's disappearance, he, he would be like, oh, she's not missing. She's down at the house right now and chuckle <laughs> like oh, uncontrollably. Exactly. And that's what everyone was like. Oh, Ed. Well, because everyone knew that Ed had well, everyone thought that Ed had like a crush. Right. On Mary Hogan. And someone even remarked to her to to Ed that. um if he had spent more time courting her and uh, less time gawking at her, then she might be at the house cooking him a meal right now instead of missing. And he he responded, oh, she's not missing. She's down at the house right now. Uh-huh. Uh, it was often, it was always written off as another example of old Ed's twisted sense of oddball humor. But that wasn't the town's only opportunity to, det- to detect Gein's descent into total madness. A local kid named Bob Hill was particularly close with Fuck! I was just going to say, the thing that I like to say is believe people when they tell you what they're doing. Uh Uh-huh. Believe him. I it treat it like a fire escape, a fire pull at the fucking school. Like, (laughs) get out of there anyway. It's a bomb threat. Check. Like, it's. And then I was thinking that I like to say, especially kids, if kids don't lie unless they're told to, mm-hmm. like, they will say the thing they saw, and then you brought up a child! <laughs> it's, he's not like a child child. I want to say he was probably like 16, 17 well, or so still. around this time. I couldn't actually find a good indication of how old Bob Hill was around this time. Gotcha. So a local kid named Bob Hill was particularly close mm. with Ed. And once came home to his parents claiming that he that Ed had shown him two preserved human heads. Ed claimed he had received these as a gift from a cousin who had fought in the Philippines during World War II. How did Bobby's parents respond to this information? Yeah, that sounds like Ed. So they did believe him. <laughs> they, they, they believed their son. They just said, ah, oddball Ed. 
Do you know what is crazy about that? Hmm. Is that I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a 1954 white guy. <laughs> that does sound like some shit that my cousin who fought in the Philippines would do. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Especially after the worst war ever. Yeah. Like, in history up to that point at the very least. It's, I think society as a whole has a, a certain level of desensitization. At this point. After hearing history, about World definitely. War II. Yeah. And Especially like, people who came back from the war. Mm-hmm. The people who did and saw those terrible things happen. Yes. So, in fact, his fascination with macabre trinkets had become something of an inside joke around town. One time, while showing his house to a prospective buyer, they pointed to a door and asked if that was the room where he kept his shrunken heads, to which Ed simply responded, no, they're in this room over here. (laughs) 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 But because... His obvious warning signs were easier to play off as a somewhat dark-humored joke. It would only be a few short years before Ed would claim another living victim. Wow. The first day of deer hunting season... we are blowing through this way faster than what is the? What is the... Fuck. What were the criteria? Three bodies over more than... Three bodies... Uh, I think... Uh, over more than a month yeah, with, with a, a cool-down cool period, period between, between each. Mm-hmm. Got it. So the first day of deer hunting season seemed to go as normal as ever on November 16th, 1957. So Which this is number two. Right. Th- this is number two. Verif- the vi- of the verifiable ones. This is his second verifiable yeah. murder. Uh, actually, I want to mention here real quick, Ed did actually date somebody uh, at some point. He dated another woman from town. I could not, again, get a good read on exactly when in the timeline this happened, but uh, they had been seeing each other for uh, a little bit, and she was described as, like, offensively plain. Wow. That's mean. I know. Is it Bernice? No. No, no, no. It's it's not Bernice. Um, I... Couldn't actually find her name either. Okay. Well, if she was offensively plain, they would have not remembered it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Ed told her about how much he loved his mother and about how she had passed away. So it was after after Augusta had passed away, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I live with my widowed mother, and she's fucking annoying." And Ed immediately dumped her like on the spot because she wow. spoke poorly about her mother. Yeah. I mean, that's a boundary. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, you know. This podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast or looking for the best home for your podcast? Check out all the amazing features that Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, unlimited. Visit www.podbean.com slash unlimited to check it out today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash unlimited. So Ed never went along with the rest of the townsmen uh, on this pseudo-town holiday. As he said, it was just too much blood for him. Ironic, considering that he was probably much more skilled at butchering than any other man in Plainfield. In previous weeks, Bernice Warden had come to dread Ed's frequent visits to her hardware store in town. 
He'd made himself quite the bothersome customer, loitering for longer than necessary and often asking Bernice to accompany him to the movies or to the new skating rink that had just opened up to the next town over. Or two towns I, I God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. I, I, I think it was actually two towns over and I wrote next town over <laughs> so that we wouldn't do that. <laughs> like Mary Hogan, Bernice bore a striking resemblance to Augusta. Also like Mary Hogan, she had a past mired in controversy. A few years earlier, Bernice had, quote, stolen her future husband from another woman who subsequently took her own life following the affair. This sin was enough for Ed, who showed up at the shop at 8 a.m. sharp after all the other men had left hunting. He said he had noticed that she had a sale on antifreeze and had bought an empty jar to stock up. Bernice filled his jar with antifreeze, charged him a dollar, wrote him a receipt, and sent him on his way. That's when Ed asked if he could see the 22 Marlin rifle inside a gun case in the shop. Bernice opened the case, handed Ed the rifle, and walked to the store window to look at a car parked across the street. Okay, this part is unintentionally the funniest thing in this entire story. Okay. Uh-oh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Ed, um, yeah, to look at a car parked across the street. Behind her, Ed was taking the twenty-two bullet he'd brought from home out of his pocket, loading the rifle and aiming at the back of her head as she spoke her last words, I do not like Chevrolets. Just really put yourself, re- really picture this scene. Wow. Really, really picture this scene. <laughs> it's... He's gla- He's probably got this fucking glazed over look on his face, and he's in in that old Wisconsin accent. I think I'd really like to see that Marlin rifle in the cabinet. She's like fucking Ed, and hands him the Marlin rifle, and walks over. She's like thinking about how much she hates Chevrolets already, and she sees a fucking Chevy across <laughs> the street, and she's sitting there looking at it. Not knowing that behind her... A murder is about to take place. Yes, he's pulling a shell, which, again, makes it incredibly clear that this is his most premeditated murder. Um, He's pulling a shell that he brought from home out of his pocket, loading it into the gun, and aiming it at the back of her head as she goes, I do not like Chevrolets. And that, unfortunately, is Bernice Warden's legacy. That's carcist. Okay. <laughs> I hope they put it on her tombstone. <laughs> she did not like Chevrolet. Bernice Warden, mother, wife, hater of Chevys. <laughs> Ford driver. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever got a twenty-two bullet in the back of the skull? <clears throat> That's what it's like to drive a Ford F-150. I've got, I've got a Gainer. Oh, yeah? Yeah, what is... What is Bernice? What is her name? Bernice Warden. 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 Uh, what does Bernice Warden have in common with our fourteenth president? What? <laughs> Bullet to the back of the head. God damn it! <laughs> it's you... Abraham Lincoln. I know he she's not 16. on a penny. Have you ever been looking out the window of your store while a murderer loads a rifle behind you and takes aim at your head? The fuck? Ironically. No. Ironically, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's last words were, I hate this play. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. What was the name of the theater that Lincoln died at? Ford Theater. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> they both loved Fords. <laughs> so Ed would later claim that it was an accident, stating that he loaded the rifle to make sure it oh, took God. the type of ammunition he was used to, raised it to check the sights, and unintentionally fired into the back of Bernice's head. <laughs> Whoops. What? Is this, this is the thing that he said? Yeah, yeah, he said it was an accident. Why would you pull the trigger, though, is what I'm... At, a, even back then, uh, gun etiquette was... I well, would assume ev- that right after guns. World War fucking two, gun etiquette would be big. Yes. I don't know about... Like, my grandfather, who had guns hanging in his house, was, was real big on that. Like, our whole family, they, like... Since guns. Since guns, you guys. <laughs> you do not have your fucking finger on the trigger. Don't point it at somebody you don't intend to shoot. Uh-huh. And do not have your finger on or near the trigger if you're going to have it pointed at something and it at all. Like, c- c- unless you are shooting. Yeah. So police arriving at the scene later. If you go the- far enough left, you get the guns back. Anyway. Police arriving on the scene later in the day would point out that the pool of blood was much too large to be from a single 22 shot. They would theorize that deer hunting procedure was followed, meaning that the murderer instinctively kneeled and slit Bernice's throat as a hunter would do to preserve the taste of deer meat. Panicking, Ed dragged Bernice's body as well as the store's cash register out back, loaded them into the warden's truck, and drove them just outside town and walked back to get his own truck. So he, I, I, I struggled so hard to phrase this in a way that was easy to follow. He panicked after this looked so calm and cool and premeditated. Right. But then as soon as the act was done, he panicked. That Whether, is often what happens. Mm-hmm. Even though he had done it before. I believe the Coens called it blood simple. I think, so we talked about how he would go into his haze. Mm-hmm. I think he came out of that haze, like, as he had a knife to her throat. And now he's fully aware of what's happening, and he panics. Mm-hmm. So he takes her body, because his truck is out front. He cannot drag her body and put it in his truck at right on the fucking main street. So he drags her out back, and then he thinks to grab the cash register to make it look like a robbery. Mm-hmm. He loads her and the cash register into her own truck and drives them, ow, bit my lip, outside of town, leaves the truck, walks back, gets his own truck, drives back to where he left the warden's truck, transfers her body from her truck into his own. I think he left the cash register in her car, in her truck, or he may have taken it back home. I couldn't find where the cash register was found. It was somewhere. I fucking didn't write it down. Um, And then he took her home. Yeah. So since we covered how Bernice's body was found in the beginning of episode one, and since we're getting very close to breaking down the contents of the farmhouse, I'll spare you all the second description of how that came to be. Suffice to say, it is believed that typical deer butchering protocol was followed. I will hit you with a preemptive gainer. Okay. Uh, Just... Yeah, please. It relates to that. The customer says to the bartender, give me a Gein beer. The bartender says, it has a lot of body, but no head. (laughs) 
At around 5 p.m., the crime scene was discovered. So no head? <laughs> so no head? <laughs> uh, the crime scene was discovered by Bernice's son, Frank Warden, using a spare key to enter the lock. Oh, door. no! Yeah? I didn't put that together last episode. No, 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 no. This is the crime scene where she was shot, not Gene's house. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, all he found, well, I'm, actually, I have an exact description of what he found, I believe. Yeah. So using the spare key to enter the locked store, he discovered his mother missing, the truck gone, a massive pool of blood, and a receipt written for one Mr. Edward Gein, the same man who had been pestering his mother for the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. When police arrived, he said he's done something to her. When police asked who, he replied, Ed. Ed has done something to her. Now, shortly before the crime scene was discovered, Bob did, Hill and his... Did, is this what made them discover her? I think yes. so, yes. Okay. Yeah, th- this, is the, this is the linchpin. If Ed had thought to grab that receipt yeah. in his panic, uh, he may have gotten a third victim and really been an official serial killer. In that Coen Brothers film that I was talking about, Blood Simple, mm-hmm. um, the, it's based off of a book of some kind, but it does say... That that is what get I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems true to me. That's what gets murderers caught is not the it's not the initial act. It's the state of panic or bloodlust or whatever it is that happens after that haze. The when you're not thinking clearly, you make mistakes and those mistakes Mm -hmm. get you caught. And it's why detective work works. Yeah. Well, it's famously, uh, was it Bundy or Gacy that said uh, murder is like changing a tire? Bundy. Bundy, yeah. Uh, the first time you do it, you're attentive. You know where you leave all of the was the lug nuts. Yeah. You know where you leave everything. The 50th time you do it, you can't remember where the crowbar is anymore. Right. Or the, you know, whatever. You don't remember if you left the wrench... Whatever the fuck the quote is. Fuck right. Bundy. <laughs> we'll get to him eventually. I know we will. He's my fucking least favorite. <laughs> so shortly before the crime. <laughs> is it because people think he's hot? It's because he's fucking stupid. Like, I will I will write, write a Bundy rant when we do Ted Bundy at some point. I, I fucking hate him. I fucking hate him. Damn. He's the worst. Passionate. So shortly before the crime scene was discovered, Bob Hill and his sister had come to the Gein farmhouse to ask him to help change for help changing a car battery. Exiting exiting the shed out back with his hands covered in blood, Ed told them that he had caught they had caught him in the middle of butchering a deer, but that he would be happy to drop what he was doing to help a friend. Which again, this really just drives home the idea that uh when it came to the murders. Ed Gein really did think of them as deer. Because he came out from butchering Bernice Warden yeah. and said, oh, you guys caught me in the middle of butchering a deer. Like His hands were covered in blood. Yeah. And we know how he left her. So after changing the battery for them, he agreed to stay for a dinner of pork chops, macaroni, and then stayed for an episode of Isle of Lucy. That's when Bob's brother-in-law came running into the house telling them about what happened at the Warden hardware store. 
Interested to see what was happening, Bob and Ed went outside and hopped in Ed's truck, which had only a few hours earlier contained Bernice's body, and got ready to go check out the scene. Ed and Bob kind of shared the macabre interest a little bit. Um, Sir! That is a sassy boy. He (laughs) wants some wet food right now, and he's going to fucking tell me about it. Um they they shared the macabre interest, mm-hmm. um, obviously Bob to a, a much less extent, right? But you know, obviously Ed fucking knew yeah, what was going say. on. <laughs> they said, "Oh, wonder what's happening." Uh huh, exactly. And well, but Bob wanted to go see what was going on because he was like, "Ooh, a macabre scene right here in our own little town," type of thing. Uh, <laughs> trouble with a capital T right here. Yeah. <laughs> So while waiting for the truck to heat up, two officers arrived and asked Ed to come with them while questioning him about where he'd been that day. With no mention of what this questioning pertained to, he blurted out, somebody frame me. Now, (laughs) unbeknownst to Ed... Friend. Yes. No, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Unbeknownst to Ed, two more officers were already searching the farmhouse, which finally brings the story full circle. Got those barf bags ready? Good. Because it's finally time to run down the list of Ed Gein's absolutely horrific arts and crafts projects, as well as reveal what led lied behind the locked and boarded door. What lay, laid, laid. What, what, you, what, you what, what lay? What lay? What lay beyond the door? What lay beyond the barred door in the Gein farmhouse? So, as we mentioned before, the farmhouse had no electricity. Ed had boarded off all but two rooms in the home, being the kitchen and a downstairs bedroom. In this small area, plus the shed, the search for Ed's home began. Or of- Why did he board them off? Do we get into that? Okay. I want you to theorize until then. I already know, I think. In addition to Bernice's body... Sad about it. The police uncovered mementos from the Butcher of Plainsfield's decade of depravity. Starting with the least disturbing item on the list, just to set the tone, a collection of chewed gum. Fingernails from female fingers. Oh, wait. Uh... How would they know that they were fingernails from females? Were they like painted or something? Uh, probably because mm-hmm. uh, they would have been from um, buried bodies. They yeah. would have been dressed for the funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of this, I have left an item off of this list. Okay. And I will reveal it only at the end. Um, oh, like a, the worst <laughs> DLC ever? Yeah. <laughs> so they also found whole human bones and fragments, a wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering ch- several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with the tops sawn off, bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from a female torso, skin from shoulders to waist, Leggings made from human leg skin, masks made from the skin of female heads, Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag, Mary Hogan's skull in a box. <laughs> it's my skull in a box. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, thank you. Bernice Warden's <laughs> skull in a box, babe. Don had the courage to do what I could not. Bernice uh-huh. Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove. Nine vulva in a shoebox. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> no! <laughs> On the 11th day of Gein's Miss My True Love Game to Me. <laughs> 
six butchered bodies anyway. A young girl's dress and the vulva of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. A belt made from female human nipples. Sir. I don't know if the mics are going to pick this up, but he is bitching. He's He's so mad. He's pulling an Alfie right now. I know. Four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. (laughs) And a partridge in a pear tree. Damn. So uh, the, the lips on the drawstring. For his blinds, yeah. they were done in such a way that when he drew them, the lips would come together. Do you mm. know what the worst part is? Mm. I want to see it because I can't picture it. I'm not a visual uh, there is, I, I was going to mention, there are photos. I don't want to. But most like of this. The, I don't recommend it. I don't. I did not. I have already seen them all from when I. I saw the nipple one. The belt? Yeah. When, when I long, long ago developed my interest in stuff like this, I looked up the crime scene photos. Um, I did not look them up again while I was researching this. I've seen them. I didn't need to see them again. I just, I, I just can't. I'm not a visual thinker. I'm a conceptual thinker, so I understand it conceptually. Yeah. I just can't picture it. Uh-huh. And it, that It's makes, too terrible. That makes the curiosity so much worse uh-huh i won't give in to this one because i've done that before for different things uh I'm, I'm good yeah and the last thing on the list was a lampshade made from the skin of a human face yes so the thing that i've left off was obviously I, we just described uh basically a full set of clothing that right. ed had made from human skin right and that's where buffalo bill came into play uh-huh and so I think the natural question from that is, okay, so he wore these, clearly. Definitely. And then did what? Well, the item that I left off of the list was a drum with human skin stretched over. And he had a, a, a little bone that he used as a drumstick. So he would go outside at night in his woman suit and he would just play that drum dancing around in the yard that's like worse to like maybe the hundredth power Uh uh-huh like that's so bad that's so that's oh there's debate too that i have seen not not a lot but people who think that you know Ed was a trans woman that had no outlet or anything for that but I would dispute that right off the fucking bat Ed did not want to be a woman Ed wanted to be one specific woman and that was his mother yeah, yeah. he wanted to become his mother yeah that's why all of his victims reminded him of her pretty much all of them yeah although about the 15 year old vulvas Kind of a weird... Yeah, I don't... Uh, I, there's not a whole lot about it's. I think, maybe... People can remind you of somebody, even if they are young. Yeah. You know. Like, I definitely remind people of my dad, and he's 30 years older than me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's also uh, some of the phrasing on those. That that list uh, came directly from the Wikipedia page. Right. I reordered it a little bit. Um, and a lot of that phrasing was directly from 
like police reports. Mm-hmm. So when they say judged to be around this age, whether that was from a coroner or it was from uh, just the police who found them, don't know. Do we have any but, record of like how he reacted in jail? Like any yeah. interviews and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Because, like, that's one interesting aspect of... Interesting. That's one interesting aspect of serial killers to me is how they react to police. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, it's, I'll talk about it a little bit with, like, police interviews. Uh, like, when he was being interrogated. Uh, and I will... The last quote of this episode, or the last line of this episode, is a quote from Ed Gein about uh, how he felt about his time after... So take a moment and consider the trauma of seeing all this and then consider that in the middle of all of it, there's a boarded door. If this is what lies right beyond the front door or behind the front door, largely right out in the open, what could possibly be so horrible that it was closed away? Shit. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. Mm-hmm. No. Imagine the argument that the I police had, had already been behind the board. Nope. No. Had in fighting over who, who would have to remove those boards and check out the first, the room first. Put yourself in the shoes of that poor fuck who drew the short straw and had to be the one to go check it out. I specifically don't want to do that. Uh-huh. You use a crowbar to pry away the boards, much the same as Gein used to open nearly a dozen coffins. You slowly open the door, fully expecting to find yourself in an even deeper pit of hell. And the room you see is pristine, untouched. This was Augusta's room. Every surface caked in a thick layer of dust, not even having been looked at in a full 10 years. When Ed returned from the funeral, he sealed her room off and it stayed exactly the way she left it right up until the police arrived. Right down to like, she had left her, uh, her armoire open from when, uh, she had gotten dressed. Yeah. The last time that the door to that armoire was still open. Wow. The, it it was like a, a a real post-apocalyptic scene where like, this is a perfectly pristine room that just has not been so much as looked at by human eyes in 10 years. So justifiably, the police believe like that they... The, the most fucked up time capsule. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Justifiably, the police believe that they had 11 murders on their hands. That is until Ed finally started talking and admitted to his grave robbing. Um, when Ed was being interrogated... The officer that was interrogating him was, uh, I believe, the the same one who had bumped into Bernice's body hanging in the shed. Mm. He was fucking pissed. <laughs> uh, at one point, he actually slammed Ed Gein's head into a wall during the interrogation and uh, because Ed wouldn't talk. And yeah. all that did was make him clam up even worse. Yeah. Uh, but when they finally did get him talking, and go ahead and read. When it came to the murders, however, he would claim to not remember anything. He only caved and admitted to killing Mary and Bernice when he was confronted about their bodies being found in his home, saying that if that was the case, he must have done it all, or must have done it after all. After a mental examination, Ed would be found unfit to stand trial making him the only serial killer to ever successfully plead not guilty by reason of insanity. There was another trial after that. Cause I want to say that there was one that they did for, uh, the murder of Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden. And that was when he was declared 
not mentally fit to stand trial. Right. Uh, and then they did another one like years later, and it was basically the same result. So I just didn't really mention it in the script, but it it all kind of played out Man, the same. The crazy thing about this is, is that while I describe the similarities between what Gein is talking about mm-hmm. experiencing and experiencing like suicidal ideation or like self harm tendencies and shit mm-hmm. like that. It isn't the same. No. At all. And I just, but I just wonder, I don't have anything in here in any of these episodes to tell me that Ed Gein is not an honest person. Yeah. So was he just straight telling the truth about that? Because if so, I don't know if that makes it scarier or sadder or both. So it's I believe the the official diagnosis was that uh, at the time of his crimes, Ed Gein was suffering from a mental disease which was too severe for him to distinguish between right and wrong. Therefore, he could not be held responsible for those crimes. It was uh, un, unable to conform to society's interpretations of right and wrong or something like that, the phrasing of it, because it was, you know, 50s yeah. phrasing of They basically health. were saying he was fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in in the nicest terms that they had for it at the time, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, in the most legally distinct yes. words that yeah, they exactly. had at the time. Uh, and as well as, like, dur- during the interrogation, uh, after they finally got him to open up a little bit, um, they would say... Did you uh, take those vaginas that you had in a shoebox and uh, wear them over your penis to pretend you were a a woman? And he was like, yeah, I suppose that's true. (laughs) Why would you need 15, though? Trying to become some variety, dude. Horror. Yeah, I guess, man. I, I, he was fucking sick. Yeah. <laughs> he was probably the most sick, like genuinely mentally sick of of any serial killer. I honestly think that this is this is the line. This is crazy. Yeah. If everybody, if anybody's ever been like, "Oh, I feel crazy," you're not crazy. This is crazy. This is what crazy I'm gesturing at the script like like you can see me <laughs> but th- literally <clears throat> literally that is what crazy is it's the inability to distinguish between right and wrong moral immoral true and false like mm-hmm. you can't he had his reality was straight fucked like you don't you have some perception issues he was crazy yes you see like it and uh he was so lifelong mental health issues undiagnosed unmedicated unhelped and then having absolutely nobody around and his only form of entertainment being reading about some of the worst events in human history broken up by episodes of i love lucy with his victims families <laughs> not exactly his victims families but yeah i mean the town yeah people in the town yeah know. 
I'm certain it's cousins and grandmas and shit. Like, uh-huh. You know, like it, it's 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 yeah, yeah. It leads to a total breakdown of your reality. Yeah, especially having been raised by his domineering religious zealot mother. Yep. So his home was set to be auctioned off to pay reparations to the families affected by his crimes. Who who would buy it? <laughs> I am about uh, to learn. <laughs> well, somebody did buy his car. And fucking Zach Bagans bought his cauldron. I'm amazed that he was able... I guess the cauldrons don't burn. So. Well, people... the. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of the point of cauldrons. I hate the fact that I know so much about Zach Bagan. Yeah. He had a show when he was starting the museum mm-hmm. called Deadly Possessions. Sure. And that's where the cauldron was brought. It was actually okay. the person who brought it. His dad was one of the people that went in to clean up. And they moved oh. the cauldron out of the, the barn and kept it. But things started happening to them. So they wanted to get rid of it. Wow. So, okay. yeah. But uh, his home was set out. Oh, yeah. Um, the night before the auction, it was burned to the ground. When Ed was informed and asked how he felt about it, he simply said, that's eh, just as well. Now, the car was bought by uh, this guy who ran like a carnival sideshow. I feel sick. Yeah. Yeah. Like just thinking about it. The, all of this. <laughs> I just feel sick. The people of the town didn't want... So the, their town had already been descended upon. Their tiny little backwater Wisconsin Vultures. town. Vultures descended. Reporters from as far as Japan had come to Plainfield, Wisconsin. That's what happens when you get worldwide acclaim or, or infamy. Yes. And, you know, they resented it. And rather than let that house become a beacon for for tourists, dark tourism, they burned it down. That's that's the commonly accepted theory. Nobody knows who did it. And ironically, it's still dark tourism. Yeah. The place where it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They couldn't they couldn't have prevented it. No, but they did everything they could. I respect that decision. Also, uh-huh. quote unquote, nobody knows. <laughs> like, well, yeah, you know what I'm saying. You know, there's probably yeah. some dude who lives two towns over <laughs> from <laughs> Plainfield. That's like, yeah, my grandpa actually did it. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, they had a council. Yeah, um, <laughs> they, they had a town council. They went in black hoods. What's that? Fucking, we watched it together. The guy shit. Oh my god! the The people who murdered a guy, the town who murdered a man, and then didn't tell anybody about it. Like even in interviews, they didn't say shit about it until like thirty, forty, forty years later, something like that. We watched it. Yeah, at cricket. It involved. It was old documentary. It was on YouTube. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. Fuck. Basically, I can't remember why they did it, but he was a horrible fucking guy. Um, and he did something and the town, basically somebody started shooting, everybody else started shooting. So the town literally, they were like, literally like a town hall or like a fucking sock hop or some shit. And murder at the sock hop. That's my favorite Junie B. Jones novel. Bar maybe. I don't even remember, but they was like a good portion of the town was there and they had all basically decided to kill this man, either together or separately. 
uh, and he t- did some other shit that they didn't like. He turned around, and while he was walking back out to his car, they fucking murdered him, and then um, didn't say shit to the police and got away with it. Literally the whole town. Um, and I, we, I remember it because I remember... I mean, I'm associating it with you. It could be something else yeah. that I saw, but um, I feel like we watched it, and I remember thinking, good for them. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm feeling here. It's yeah. like, good for them. Like, they mm-hmm. sh- don't go there. Yeah. We're probably going to have to go there. But don't go there. I don't really want to go there. It's a burned-out husk, or it's something entirely different field. now. Yeah, it's just too. a field. So, like, fuck it. Why do we need to go? Um, yep. And and of course, Ed didn't feel any type of way about it. Mm-hmm. it. It's just as well. He didn't care. He wasn't going back there. Yeah. So Ed would die in a mental institution in 1984 at the age of 78, being called a model prisoner. In a rare interview, when asked how he liked his life there, he said, I'm happy here. It's a good place. Some of the people here are pretty disturbed, though. And that takes us out of the story. That's storybook, nigga. What a f- <laughs> like, you can't do that. <laughs> you can almost you could almost see like a freeze frame of the book closing. Like no, no. I literally fucking imagined the end of of the Princess Bride. Like <laughs> no, I'm thinking I'm thinking more like the end of a, a sitcom where he goes. Oh, I'm happy here. A lot of people are disturbed, though. And he gives a little smile. (laughs) And the circle closes in Uh on Ed Gein's crooked smile. It's the Joker. (laughs) It's the Joker, and it's the last episode of fucking Batman Beyond. Who else but Ed Gein? (laughs) Right after, according uh, to Carl. I love it here, but a lot of the people here are very disturbed. Like, fuck off, guys. That's such a good Mark Hamill Joker impression. I watched a lot of it when I was a kid, and I was also I have a little bit of the tism and also a lot of the ADHDs. Yeah, so it sticks in there. So that's it. That's the end of Ed Gein, uh, first heavy hitter that we've done in a long, in a long, long, long time. Yeah, I felt like I wasn't that far away from Doofenshmirtz, but you know, <laughs> about the same. But um, so next week, well, Josh won't doesn't want to say what our next episode is going to be. Uh, well, I didn't want to say it on the midweek because that midweek's going to come out like before Ed Gein even starts. Well, I thought you said that at the beginning of this episode. I can't remember. I don't remember either. I don't remember either. Whatever. The next series is, uh, I'm going to probably do another two-parter. I might condense it into one. It really, really depends um, on how deep into it I feel like getting. But I'm going to do the story of Amanda Knox. Which... You little motherfucker. Huh? Huh? There's an urban legend that can be tied to it. Oh, cool. So, fuck you. <laughs> uh, it's a, one of my favorite trial cases. I wanted to give us a little bit of time before, because we had covered uh, McMartin Preschool. I and wanted then... a good trial case. Can, is it one where justice is served, ultimately? Oh, ultimately, yes. Good. I'll take it. Um, it's one that I'm also going to have to be very careful about because, you know, it happened in like the mid two thousands. Yeah. And there are still people alive who were affected by this. It's also still a point of contention for some people. I will make my stance very clear. 
on the events of the Amanda Knox case. Which one is she? Uh, is she the American transfer student? Yes. In Italy, yes. Okay. And her roommate was murdered. She was blamed. She was twice convicted and twice acquitted of the same crime. It, it's a whole story. Oh, yeah. You want to know something fucking hilarious? Mm. So we spent seven and a half months, or six and a half months, uh-huh. doing Satanic Panic. Oh, what the fuck happened? Well, uh, recently, I, I don't know what's going on, but there's been like an uptick in like stories about the Satanic Panic. And I don't know, There's it's a movie, it's a documentary that is currently making the festival circuits, the film festival circuits, uh-huh. a documentary on Michelle Remembers. Of course. And how it started the whole satanic panic. Of course. Cite me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, we have nothing to... Cowards! Uh, That's not a bad sign. No. Mm-mm. It means we're on the right track. In fact, we're ahead of the curve. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, join our podcast. We're ahead of the curve. There you go. Um, anything... Or join our Patreon. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're we're trying to figure out something to to, to kind of increase Patreon traffic. We're probably going to have to start doing ads pretty soon. Uh, we well, actually yeah. already currently have ads. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, Don and I discovered. <laughs> Didn't know that. Yeah, it's a Podbean ad that airs before each episode. Oh, that's the worst. It's just well, for Podbean, but. Oh. We're getting paid for it. I'll take it. Not much. <laughs> Not much. All told, we made like a buck twenty-five since July. God damn! Yeah. <laughs> what kind of bullshit is this? <laughs> we were probably not allowed to pull out of that money until we've made twenty dollars yeah, too. Think, so it's it's going to be like twenty fifty-two. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, Cindy, she was listening to an episode, and we went up to Publix. We got in the car, and it was starting a new episode. And I, and I was like, and I looked and the, the commercial ended and our show began. And I was like, what the fuck was that? She goes, it was your commercial. I was like, what fucking commercial are you talking about? We have a, what the fuck? We, she goes, yeah, it was, I loved it. It was cute. I love the, the whole genie <laughs> idea. And I was like, what are you talking? We didn't do that. And she goes, that wasn't you and Ruben. I was like, no. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. It's very on brand for us. It fits so well. I got to hear this shit so, like, after the show. Yeah. I'll, I'll look at that. I have. Wow. Yeah. So anyways. Um, I don't listen to myself. So yeah. Take a hint. I have to listen to it. I have no choice. Um, it's what happens when, when we finally get enough money to start paying an editor. Uh. I'll never listen to this show again. <laughs> As is what a vote right. of confidence. What a vote of confidence in our content. No, it's not. I that. know. I it's know. Just, I don't. I feel arrogant when I do it, and I hate that. I just start nitpicking, and that's just the editor. And also like, that. Yeah. Also that. It's but. it's it's very odd to hear your vo- own voice for it, an extended I'm period. I'm desensitized of time. to it now. I hated it uh, when we first started. And I would go back and I would listen to our episodes. I could not stand listening to my own voice on recording. But I would go back and I would listen to make sure that I liked the way it sounded. I liked the way that jokes played. I do like it. And I don't have a real problem with my voice. Yeah. It's just that it doesn't, like, it, I don't know why, but I have, like, my a lot of my neurodivergency manifest auditorially. Mm -hmm. So it always feels disconcerting. 
until I ha- I have found my coping mechanism is not that great, but right. it works. I just dissociate my own voice from myself. I imagine that the person on the other end of that is a friend of yours that I don't know. Yeah, fair. <laughs> it's it's helped me to get a lot of my ums and uhs out of my speech. Yeah. Uh, I still do it a lot, way more than I would like to, but it's helping. I don't know how much I do it. You yours don't do is, it very much at all. Yours actually. is more you pause a lot. I do pause a lot. You just don't know it because I edit out the pauses. Yeah. Well, I, I know that I pause a lot because that that was a, my mom weeded those ums and uhs out of uh, <laughs> yeah out of us. All right, know. so we're gonna wrap this episode up because I know you guys don't give a fuck about what we're talking about right now. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. Uh, Shouts out plant babies and their mom. Be good to yourselves. More than one mom. Are they? Are well. I suppose that's true. Yeah. They're moms. Yeah. Uh-huh. You never uh, stop being a mom. Be good to yourself. How about that? Fuck the bitchels, and we will see you guys next time. Silly Bitchel is getting his ass handed to him in court right oh, now. Oh, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. It's so good. So good. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.